Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You can subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, professor of history at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Uncle Sam wants you, according to the famous James Montgomery flag poster. That direct appeal to the patriotism of young Americans has long lain at the heart of Army recruiting, especially in the era of the all-volunteer force. Even if some appeals are evergreen, however, strategies for recruiting and retaining appropriate members of the force, what is generally called accessions, um, have been revised and reconsidered constantly within the leadership. Our guests today include two members of the U.S. Army War College community who have considered the role of innovation in accession policy in the military as part of a strategy research project. They are Colonel Silas Martinez, who is the faculty advisor for the project, and Lieutenant Colonel David Eckley of the U.S. Army War College Class of 2020, who was the main author of the report. Colonel Martinez is, uh, has served as Director of Leader Development at the United States Army War College since 2017. He holds a PhD in Industrial Organizational Psychology from Wright State University and is a 2015 Army War College graduate. His research interests include selection, individual differences, decision-making support, and talent management. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Eckley, the author of the report, is an Army intelligence officer who most recently served as a battalion commander in recruiting command. He holds a master's degree in geographic and cartographic science from George Mason University and is a class of 2020, as of last week, graduate of the U.S. Army War College. Welcome to A Better Peace, gentlemen. It's great to Thanks, be here. Ron. Thanks, Ron. So I wanted to start with a, a general question of, Dave, how did you come to this project? And Cy, how did you come to be his advisor? Sure. So uh, in our innovation class, which was part of the strategic leadership course uh, that we took this year, um, I noted that my experience in recruiting command aligned with the innovation implementation strategy that was discussed in, in one of our classes. And so I, I brought up, after I completed the reading, brought that up to Silas that, hey, I have... Uh, a case study that aligns with what we're talking about here in class, and could I share that? So he gave me the opportunity for about five, 10 minutes to discuss my experience uh, in recruiting command. This is all based in my uh, experience as a battalion commander within recruiting command. So I talked about that with my classmates, and then afterwards uh, he indicated that this would be potentially a, a good case study to replace part of the curriculum. So that's that's kind of how the, the project got kicked off. Gotcha. Yeah, and, for, and from my point of view, you know, I'm always looking to try to bring new and relevant and applicable material into the class. And so when Dave said, hey, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but we did all this stuff that we're talking about. Um, in recruiting command, you know, I said, hey, there's some possibility here to maybe 
replace a case study or provide an additional case study for future lessons. Um, and so that's what we did. And that's the idea, right? Is that this this project will become part of, of future lessons in strategic leadership or uh, innovation? Yeah, absolutely. So we will mm -hmm. continue to teach the lesson on leading innovative organizations. And we had been using a very, very good, but a little bit aging case study about um, building aircraft carriers in, in World War II from the Japanese, American, and the UK perspective. And it's a great study, but one mm -hmm. of the things that's different between what they did and what our leaders will do is it kind of focused on the efforts of the part of the organization solely focused on innovations. Mm -hmm. And this case study focused on a leaders who had to do their normal jobs and still innovate. So kind of this idea of in-stride innovation, mm -hmm. which I think is something more applicable to our students. And so I thought the ability to offer that kind of case study would be great for instructors to choose from next year and in future years. Sure. Uh, the the joke I always think of is the idea of trying to change the oil on your car while you drive it, right? I guess that would be innovation and uh, and operations at the same time. Right, uh, right. Dave, uh, when you were working for Recruiting Command, for those uh, listeners who are not uh, experts in Army organization, um, where does Recruiting Command sit within the, the larger structure of the enterprise? Sure. So Recruiting Command, again, is, is part of the Accessions Enterprise. Mm -hmm. um, U.S. Army Recruiting Command falls under Training and Doctrine Command, along with U.S. Army Cadet Command. So those are the two main subordinate commands under um, TRADOC that deal with assessing both enlisted members for Recruiting Command and officers for Army, uh, U.S. Mm -hmm. Army Cadet Command. Right. And when um, when you make that distinction, so even though it's called Cadet Command, that's not just for officers going through the uh, the academy, right? That's also ROTC and other forms of, of officer accession? Correct. Silas, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the academy, um, at least for the Army, um, accounts for about 10% of the total officer population that's assessed mm -hmm. on an annual mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, the rest comes through over 270 programs that are located at colleges and universities across the United States. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this is good. Roger. And, and they do fall under different um, umbrellas there. They do. Okay. Yes. Right. Uh, because that, that, that one of the well, that is one of the interesting questions of the different ways that one can become an officer in the armed forces, and then also the difference between uh, becoming a commissioned officer versus uh, enlisting as an enlisted man. That eventually everybody ends up in the same army, but uh, they yes. don't all follow that. They don't all go in through the same door, I guess, to get into the correct. Army. Correct. So, in your uh, case study, you mention. Uh, the, the nature of the problem, and then you have six steps um, for dealing with innovation uh, with the with the sessions. And can you briefly uh, list those steps, and then we can talk about how they fit together? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the first step is uh, ensuring that conditions are set to enable the organization to be successful in innovation, uh, and that really has to do with the leader of the organization. Um, establishing those conditions and it, you know how those conditions are established depends on what is the leader paying attention to, what is the leader measuring, um, what is the leader rewarding, uh, how is the leader messaging to the organization? Does does he indicate that he really cares about this innovation effort? So that's kind of the, the first scenes that are that's required to be successful. The second thing is correctly identifying your problem. 
uh, or mm-hmm. opportunity, if it, if it might be an opportunity to pursue. Then, then you deal with generating ideas to solve that problem or leverage that opportunity. Uh, then you try out your ideas uh, and then you kind of diffuse uh, or scale really you're implementing the right idea to solve the problem uh, and make the innovation effort successful. And then mm-hmm. when you do that successfully, you end up creating a culture of innovation. Gotcha. There's a there's a, a, a fundamental challenge for leaders uh, when you, especially a leader who m- moves into a new leadership position is how much is a leader, uh, how much is a leader measured on the basis of how well that leader so carries on things that are already working well versus uh, does the leader come in with a whole lot of brand new ideas that uh, so that the leader can put his or her stamp on the organization? Thinking very broadly, how do you uh, figure leaders should approach the issue of uh, balancing innovation versus good management? Well, and the responsibility of, I think, all senior leaders is mm-hmm. to continually scan their environment um, and see how well they think that the future environment is going to require an adaptation or alignment of their own organization in order to meet their projected um, future state, right? right? In this case, what we found out was, you know, the things that had been working weren't working anymore. <laughs> and so we really had to look at how do I continue to do the things that are working but make adjustments on the move to innovate processes and procedures um, in a way that will allow us to meet our our session's mission. Right. Um, and Dave, so the uh, as far as setting the conditions, right? Secretary Esper um, made clear uh, in his in his uh, instructions, I guess, to the uh, sessions enterprise that he wanted to quote try new things, and if they don't work, move on to something else. Uh, what was it that uh, wasn't working that uh, that the uh, that Sai referenced here too that 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 wasn't working that needed to be addressed? Sure. So a quick quick background: mm-hmm. um, the army had been downsizing for a number of years um, after the peak of the effort in Iraq and Afghanistan, and. Uh, when the Trump administration came on board, the national security stat strategy required the army to grow. So the challenge was uh, how to reverse the momentum that initiated in 2010 when the force peaked, the army force peaked at 562,000 troops. Uh, and we're on, you know, we were, the army was on a drawdown to 450,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and was making progress towards that goal, but had to reverse midstream uh, with the change in administration. So we were coming back from a low point of 460,000 at the end of 2016, trying to come back up to 476,000. So, so initially we had been successful in 2017 of reaching that 476,000 in strength. Um, but then we we met a challenge in 2018, which was really a compounding factors that, that played into the Army's inability to meet its recruiting mission and in-strength mission for FY18. The main things contributing to that was a strong economy. So mm-hmm. 
we had an employment rate, unemployment rate of 3.6%, which was the lowest it had been in multiple decades. Um, that is, is always difficult for the Army to compete with industry and academia for uh, America's you know, most talented youth uh, when there are all these other options that they can pursue. Um, so, you know, just to give you a couple specifics on that, um, there are only 500,000 Americans between the age of 17 and 24 that are both qualified and propensed to serve. Um, qualified means they meet the, meet the requirements. So they are physically um, able to serve. They don't have a, a record that would keep them from serving, whether that's a criminal record or, you know, issues with drugs or, or that, that sort of thing. Um, and then they propense, which means they actually want to serve. So all the military services, academia and industry are all competing for this 500,000 individuals. Right. Um, the army's piece of that for FY 18 was 68, thousand five hundred and we fell sixty five hundred short. So that was the that was the problem the army was facing coming into FY nineteen. Right. And so is that is that about uh, that was the number I was I was it was on the tip of my tongue to ask you right how many recruits how many how many accessions does the does the army uh, shoot for in a given year. So the number was sixty eight thousand and change. Um, how how did how much has that number fluctuated over the years? Right, assuming that we always have people leaving the service as we're coming in, um, is is that sixty seventy thousand number uh, common, or was that a, was that a different was that a, a change from previous years? Yeah, that was actually a, a high point for the army within the decade. Mm. That number of recruits, but it's all it's tied to end strength and mm -hmm. what the army says it needs for its total force. And um, you know, based on the national security strategy, the army estimated that it would need half a million active duty soldiers in order to uh, achieve the requirements of the national security strategy. And it was on pace to reach that goal by 2024. Mm -hmm. But Secretary Esper recognized uh, after the challenges of FY18 that the scheduled increase of 4,000 troops per year was gonna was, was unrealistic. And so mm -hmm. he scaled that back at the beginning of FY19 and set a goal for 478,000, which was a 2,000 in strength increase over FY18, um, and uh, set the recruiting goal for 68,000 recruits for FY19, which was 500 less than was the goal in FY18. Mm -hmm. So well. took a more realistic approach, um, and the... The goal was to reach 500,000 by 2030 instead of 2024. Gotcha. And just uh, not to get too lost in the weeds, but because but the numbers do fascinate me, right? This this notion that there's only about 500,000 appropriate people in the target age range uh, at any time is that is that the idea that in any given year we can assume there are 500,000 17 to 24 year olds who are Propense. I like propensed, by the way. I'm going to try to work that in the future conversations that are, uh, yeah. that are qualified and propensed. 
Yeah, that's that's the estimate. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Um, well, that's so. So then, what uh, what approach did the army then take? Uh, if the, if the, the idea was you we the army needed to reach that goal, uh, and the army wanted to uh, to somehow find a better way to appeal to members of that cohort, that five hundred that five hundred thousand prison cohort. Um, what uh, what innovation approaches did the army take? So the, the main thing the army did was take a strategy of targeted marketing. So mm-hmm. this industrial age idea of one size fits all, the army recognized that that wasn't working anymore. And so mm-hmm. we needed to go to uh, appeal to individuals in unique markets. Um in you know traditionally the army successful in the south southeast and southwest that's where a majority of recruits came from but that's not where a majority of the american population is mm-hmm. uh, and so the army identified that there were these 22 cities they actually called it focus 22 was the strategy to target the 22 most populated cities that uh, most underproduced when you hmm. looked at the statistics based on you know how many were eligible, how many were propensed, and yet how many was the army actually recruiting. Hmm. So targeted efforts within zip codes within these areas um, from a marketing standpoint and actual recruitment engagement uh, ended up being a novel approach that the army had not taken before. So that Hmm. that was one way to access new markets. The other was looking at what the youth was interested in. So Generation Z, 17 to 24 year olds, and you know, at this current point in history, were interested in some things that the army had not tried to leverage. And one of the main main industries was esports. Hmm. Um, esports is electronic sports. So it's idea of uh, competing in a digital space, uh, you know, through video game uh, competitions. In, in various sports activities, um, mm-hmm. whether whether that's actual uh, a sports video game or really it's any kind of video game, it doesn't have to be sports related. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the projections were for for that industry, there'd be more fans watching esports online than any other professional sport, but the NFL by twenty twenty one. By 20, so that, the, that might even be accelerated in this age of COVID where we, we've gone several months without any professional sports to watch, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So the Army uh, identified as actually so, – so this was an effort that was initiated within recruiting command by Major General Muth um, when he asked recruiters to come up with ideas. So he solicited ideas from across the force, and there were two – recruiters in particular that came back with ideas that were really pretty radical um, ideas to try out. Mm-hmm. And one dealt with leveraging and accessing the esports community. The other was dealing with access to CrossFit community or functional fitness, which mm-hmm. the Army's interested anyway. You know, we want we want physically fit individuals to, to join the military. Um, so the initial analysis that was done on the availability of 70 to 24 year olds within these particular markets led U.S. Army Recruiting Command to 
create an initiative where they stood up esports team, an esports team, and a they called it a functional fitness team, but it was uh, you know essentially CrossFit was the activity that they were competing in. Mm-hmm. And so the um, idea is uh, not to not to interrupt, but I, just yeah. the is the idea is you create these um, teams that are both going to participate in the activity, so people will see, hey, look, these are people from the army. That looks kind of interesting. They're interested in what I'm in. Is it also a matter of the army seeking out uh, either advertising uh, in those uh, in those uh, forums, or or also the army looking to uh, direct mail or direct reach out to people who have expressed an interest in either of those things. Yeah. So, so within marketing, um, there's this idea called the consumer's journey, which consists of three different phases. You have awareness, which is where the individual learns about a product. In this case, where a potential prospect learns about the army and what the army offers. Then you have engagement where the individual starts to take a personal interest, the personal responsibility, and does some research. And then there's activation where an individual makes a decision. So what the Army was trying to do in these new markets was create awareness through these these sports teams that um, were highly, highly competitive. Uh, so you know, the, the Army cased internally its individuals that had already identified um, because many of these individuals had already made a name for themselves within their community, both for esports and functional fitness, held uh, tryouts. You know, there was over 6,000 people that applied to be part of the esports team. Um, 20 were selected. So Uh, 6,000 current members of the force? Current members, yes. This was Mm -hmm. only internal. So that, but the idea was to create these teams that could compete within uh, these industries and make a name for the army, right? Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. that's creating awareness. That's the awareness phase of the consumer journey or the the army's marketing effort. And then by over time, by you know making a name, the army making a name for itself within the esports community and the the fitness communities, then that provides the opportunity for recruiters to come alongside um, these individuals who have. Uh, you know, improve the strength of the army brand and discuss details, engage, and then help individuals decide to join the army. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for Dave, and also for you, side to bring this in is in what ways was were these innovations to bring in to to look into esports, to look into uh, CrossFit? Were they uh, qualitatively different from say the earlier generation of uh, a session? Uh, innovators who came up with the idea of advertising, uh, advertising, r- recruiting commercials during professional sports events, or uh, or having even NASCAR sponsoring a NASCAR vehicle. Was this are these differences in in nature or uh, in degree or neither than those previous innovations? Yeah, that's an interesting um, thought. I think that. The the previous efforts, um, I, I guess maybe to provide a little bit of context even. So Army Marketing and Research Group was the Army's organization that's responsible for, for all of the Army's marketing efforts. They had 23 programs um, that they were pursuing uh, leading up to 2018. 
that actually came under scrutiny. And the Army realized that it was not getting the return on investment and it actually had not been effectively measuring its return on investment for these programs. Uh, so this was kind of a, a lesson learned that maybe led to the need for innovation. Mm. Um, but to your point, these programs did include things like the National Hot Rod Association, um, the All-American Bowl, where they were appealing to a large um, population that already had some level of propensity um, and maybe did not have all of, of the qualifications necessarily. Um, I, I think really the challenge that the Army realized, though, is they didn't have a way of identifying that the people that they thought they were attracting, they actually weren't. No. Um, and and so that's what led to the analysis that identified uh, a greater opportunity within the esports community and the and the fitness community than the Army had been pursuing in communities such as the you know, national hot rod fans, um, right. or even high school football. Right. Gotcha. Silas, you wanted to jump in on that, uh, with a comment. Yeah. I think one of the fascinating things, uh, about this case in particular, but about a lot of innovative, um, activities is that successful innovations can actually be counterproductive to the establishment uh, on how they do things. And these two activities are examples of that. You know, how do you then process a an intent of interest or um, somebody who says, yeah, I'm interested in this from an esports event? You know, how do we do that? How does how do the recruiters get credit or fail to get credit for the things that they used to do? And these are things that the leaders had to carefully manage if they were going to try to bring this culture of innovation. Dave, can you talk a little bit about some of that? Sure. Yeah. So not only did the army try to target the right marketplace or the right uh, portions of the market, the methodology um, by which they tried to communicate with potential prospects changed. So under the industrial model, it was all based on personal contact, face-to-face -face interaction, typically on a high school campus. Uh, but but the Army realized that uh, <laughs> by simple observation of high schoolers who would stand in a group and not talk to each other, but rather text each other <laughs> when they're 10, 10 feet apart. Uh, hey, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we need to be interacting in the digital space, uh, not in, not that they don't need to interact uh, face to face, but there needs to be this interaction also within the digital space. And so a lot of emphasis was placed on how do we do virtual recruiting? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the recruiting command met significant success by um, deliberately focusing additional effort within the digital space uh, in addition to the activities that are already on and continuing to go on in the, in the high school campuses. Dave, did, did they have to change the way that, that re individuals, recruiters got quote unquote credit for a recruit based on the fact that we're not doing face-to-face -face anymore? And, and how was that managed? Yeah, so I think they're still working through the processes on how to attribute credit. Um, because that is a challenge. Um, one overarching change that was made since 2003, Recruiting Command was only uh, assigning missions to at the unit level. So a, a station 
you know, located within, you know, responsible for a certain number of zip codes within a, a region would, ha- would be given a certain number of recruits or a, a mission that their station had to accomplish collectively. And so there was no individual responsibility. Uh, individual could not be given a mission since, since 2003, but recruiting command recognized that, Hey, w- if we incentivize individuals and teams, we can potentially get more bang for our buck. And so recruiting command tried that out also in, in FY19 and um, attributes their ability to meet the FY19 mission in part to what they call hybrid mission model, which was assigning missions to both individuals and to teams at the station level. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. I, I have, uh, as we, we, as we approach the, the end of this interesting conversation, uh, a question that has, that I've been wondering about as well, going back to what Silas said about recruiting commander recruiters getting credit for their recruits, um, is how exactly does one measure success in these kinds of circumstances, both uh, especially when you consider, as you mentioned in the beginning, Dave, that one of the reasons why recruiting was suffering is you had a strong economy, so you have low unemployment. Um, if if the if the general economy shifts and unemployment goes up, then more people will consider joining the armed forces, um, regardless of how it's advertised or who it's re- it's reached out to. And and so the question of how how does a session command going forward or uh, the session enterprise going forward, how does it imagine itself measuring the success and failure of these innovative strategies? Is this an, is it based on the number of recruits? Is it based on uh, somehow uh, interviewing recruits to get a sense of what brought them to it? Um, how, how does that, how does that going to work? I think success can, is really different at different levels, right? You know, at the recruiter level, it's, did I meet mission? Mm-hmm. And at the esports team or the CrossFit team, it's, did I generate a number of contacts, you know, but at the strategic level, it's really, um, have I, are my processes aligned and enabled to take advantage of the innovations that have been created at various levels. And so that's what makes this, this fascinating. It's not just the effort, but it's the tying it back into the overall question that you started with Ron, which is, Am I moving the organization to where I think it's going to be in the future in order to be successful? And that's what's fascinating about this. Absolutely. So, so I think it's bigger than just recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It's bigger than just a session. So the Army has been taking a close look at talent management. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do we get the most out of every individual that we have in the force? How, how do we best fit the talents and the skill sets that our non-commissioned officers, our soldiers, our officers have and line them up to be as successful as they possibly can be in the, the various jobs and responsibilities that the Army has. And so you know, the Army Talent Management Task Force has been working on this problem for a long time. They've had various innovative strategies that have come out part, partly Partly, um, the focus has been on better assessing cap- the, the skill sets and mm-hmm. um, the abilities of individuals uh, in order to align them with, with the requirements that the Army has. But I think as, as the Army is successful in better managing its talent, that will help recruiting efforts um, as 
the army is able to say, hey, if you come and join our organization, we are going to to tailor the unique skill set and the the unique abilities that you as an individual bring, and and we're going to optimize those in the army, and you are going to have more job satisfaction than you could have anywhere else by working for our team. So you know that's that's a long term strategy to to actually realize that. Um, but by focusing internally on talent management in the end, you know we'll be able to offer a better product to the potential recruit. Gotcha. And so in that uh, to end on a uh, tongue twister, right? Is that uh, successful uh, accessions require successful assessment? Two different words that sound very, very much the same and are related to each other. Um, so this idea—it's not only who you who you attract, but who you're able to keep. Well, thanks to both of you for this conversation. Thanks for for joining us today. Thank you, Colonel Silas Martinez, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Eckley. Thanks, Ron. This is great. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs and suggestions for future programs. We're always interested in hearing from you. Um, Please subscribe to A Better Peace and then rate and review this podcast once you have subscribed so that other people can find out about it too. We're always interested in increasing the audience for these conversations, and we look forward to inviting you to future conversations. But until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.